As you all know by now, Tim is on vacation. I am home from vacation in spite of it all. Um, my sister over there, Patty, and I went to um, Scottsdale last this last week. Um, and on the way home, we got hung up trying to land in Dallas on our way home. And Dallas had thunderstorms and tornadoes, and we circled and circled and circled, and they finally diverted us to Austin, where we sat and sat and sat, along with eight other airplanes that they had diverted to Austin. They were diverting folks everywhere. And uh, by the time we got back into Dallas, we missed our connecting flight by two minutes. The plane was still at the gate, but the door was shut, and some important people said they couldn't open it back up. So um, we got to spend the night in the Dallas airport. I'm texting Jika and saying, in case something happens and we don't make it home, you better be prepared for a really long operatory. <laughs> but we got in yesterday afternoon, so I'm glad to I'm glad to be here. You will notice on the back of your um, worship bulletin um, stuff that are that are going on this week. Um, I will let you attend to those that apply to you. Um, Vacation Bible School and the Strength Extreme Build and all that that's happening this summer um, that you all will want to be involved with. Can you believe it's April the 8th? And we are headed into it. Heather Burke Cody wrote this. The pastor says they sit in front, they sent front. Let me start again. (laughs) Heather Burke Cody wrote this. The pastor says they sit front and center. The gay boys, sometimes they hold hands. And some folks have said he should address the issue, but the pastor tells me he doesn't know what to say. And then there's the man who sneaks in the back door, fresh off the street after the service starts, and leaves before altar call. The people sitting close complain about how bad he smells of beer and smoke and sweat. But the pastor tells me he doesn't know what to say. And then there's the young mama who wears dirty skin and lets her four children come in and eat all the donuts and drink all the watered-down juice. Some church folks say, some church staff say they eat like little pigs, like they haven't eaten in weeks, while the mama just stands there and lets them. And the elders say something must be done and said. And there's the prostitute sitting among the faithful, and everybody knows her. She sits with a painted-up face and cheap perfume and a broken heart. And those who sit close, well, they all treat her for what they think she is. At the last staff meeting, her name came up. Something must be done about her, but the pastor tells me he doesn't know what to say. 
the pastor is a good man, holy and just. He wants to do the right and loving thing. He wants to look like Jesus, and he asks me if I have any thoughts on anything he could say. Yes, sweet pastor, I do, says Heather. Start with this and say it louder than any other words. Welcome to church. This is a place of love and hope and safety and forgiveness. We will be food for the hungry, living water for the thirsty. We are so glad you are here. You are invited. You are loved. Come on in. We've been waiting for you. Welcome. We are the church. And to that, I say aloud, Amen. 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 Welcome to the church. We've been waiting for you. There is a a little purple book at the end of your pew. If you will sign that in, sign that, um, to allow us the honor of knowing that you are here. We are the church. You are welcome here. Amen. your children and we like being your church when you're handing out blessings when we can celebrate your resurrection when we can wallow in your love for us can't we just stop there and be on our way because Lord when you call us to love our enemy to put ourselves last to turn the other cheek well that's just not fun anymore But you still call us to be peacemakers, to spread the gift of your love, to baptize in your name. You call us to the hard stuff, too. And yet we don't go alone. You promise to go with us. 
You promise to give us courage. You promise that if we are faithful to do to you and do what you have taught us, our lives will be so full, so abundant, so incredible that we could not imagine not following you. Lord, help us keep that ever in our hearts. And Lord, thank you. Amen.
Now, usually at this time, we have our children's moment. But the Bratton Staten family is at home sick, so we don't have anybody to do our children's moments this morning. So instead, we're going to jump along to our next song. So if you'll please stand with me as we sing together, Sweet, Sweet Spirit. today and for the many flowers that are blooming and reminding us that there's new life always. We ask that you bless these tithes and offerings that are about to be presented to you. May you guide us and bless the people giving them and guide us all to use them to strengthen your church here on earth. Bless the time and talents of the many people in this church that give to help others and to spread your word. We ask your blessings on everyone. In Jesus' name, amen.
Our scripture this morning is Acts 4, 32-35. The believers share their possessions. The group of believers was one in mind and heart. None of them said that any of their belongings were their own, but they all shared with one another everything they had. With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God poured rich blessings on them all. There was no one in the group who was in need. Those who owned fields or houses would sell them, bring the money received from the sale, and turn it over to the apostles. And the money was distributed according to the needs of the people. This is the word of the Lord. Oh 
we have celebrated Easter. Jesus has been resurrected and has proven that to us in a dozen different ways. He has gathered up his disciples and given them their final instructions. Go then to all people everywhere and make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and I will be with you always until the end of the age. He has asked Peter if he loves him, and of course Peter says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus tells him, Then take care of my sheep. The disciples, now apostles, choose Matthias to replace Judas, since Matthias had traveled with them from the beginning. The helper, the paraclete, as Jesus promised, has come in the form of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. You remember that while those outside the circle thought the crowd of about 120 people, about the size of this church, was all drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning, Peter stood with the other apostles and reminded them of what the prophet Joel had told them. This is what I will do in my last days, says God. I will pour out my spirit on everyone. Your sons and daughters will proclaim my message. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will proclaim my message. And Peter goes on to set them straight about the the fact of that Jesus really was exactly who he said he was and that they were more than welcome to join them. And about 3,000 people were baptized that day. The apostles begin their ministry, preaching and healing and taking care of folks and, yes, even con- continually being slept in front of the high priest and the council to remind them, yet again, how and in whose name they do what they do. Jesus. How many times do we have to tell you? It's Jesus. The council keeps telling them to quit. Stop it. And fortunately for us, in 2018, they don't. They just crank up their ministry all the more. And then there's the passage for today. It begins, the group of believers was in one mind and heart. And we learned that no one in this rather large group had any needs because all in the group shared what they had. If the group needed something and you had a way to provide it, that's what you did. Well, I kind of get that part because I see it that done here all the time. Many of us with home repairs that need to be done and no clue what to do, Roger's there with tools in hand. Somebody is sick and can't get to the store. Kirk Sunday School class takes groceries. 
Christian community outreach needs more space to pack and handle monthly commodities. Well, we stack chairs and put out tables. Folks who've been flooded out of their homes and need a dry, warm, safe place to be for a while, we open the doors and drag out the portable shower. Folks who need housing, there's Brittany and Larry. Some of us just need music to soothe our souls. There's Felisa and Chica and Tim and Nibby and Heather. Those who need to eat, well, there's Christine and her team serving at the Salvation Army. The children need, there's Lana and Kim and Teresa. The young adults need, there's Chris. The church building needs, there's Sybil. The grieving need, there's Jerry Wagner and her team taking hot meals. The congregation needs, there's Tim, our pastor. You all live the picture of that in front of me all the time. I get that part. But I keep going back to the proclamation, the group of believers was one in mind and heart. What does that mean? We already know that these are folks from all over. We have the witness of Pentecost, where folks heard in their own languages. So we know this group seems to be about as diverse as the gets. How can they be of one mind and heart? Do they agree on everything? Can they be so unique that they set aside their own thoughts and opinions just to go along to get along? Even while Jesus was with them, the disciples couldn't always get along. So Jesus, who's going to be the closest to you in heaven? It really does need to be James and me. I would imagine that while the scriptures tell us that Jesus went to the mountain to pray, I'm wondering if a big chunk of that prayer time included Jesus saying to God, God, you got to do something about these guys. They're driving me crazy. They don't get what I'm telling them. I'm speaking as simply as I can. They can't figure out how to feed a crowd or heal the sick or love their enemies. They still don't get who I am or why I'm here. God, help me out here. Being of one mind and heart seems like hard work. But I'm sure you're, you married folks get that, right? I'm not married, never have been. Haven't had a roommate since college. But y'all who took a vow for the two to become one, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poor, I'm sure that you know how simple it is to be of one mind and heart, <laughs> especially in the worst, sicker, poor part, right? Huh. It really is hard work being of one mind and heart. I don't think it means we have to agree all the time because we don't. 
Don't think it means we have to like each other all the time because we won't. Don't think it means we have to be perfect because Lord knows that ain't going to happen. So what is it to be of one mind and heart? William Willimon says this, The most eloquent testimony to the reality of the resurrection is not an empty tomb or a well-orchestrated pageant on Easter Sunday. Although I will say that the Palm Sunday uh, service was incredibly powerful. It is not the reality of the resurrection. The reality of the resurrection is not an empty tomb, but rather a group of people whose life together is so radically different, so completely changed from the way the world builds a community that there can be no explanation other than something decisive has happened in history. If the quality of our life together is evidence of the reality of the resurrection, why don't we look more resurrected? So I got to think it. What does looking resurrected look like? Hmm. Well, let's see. My friend Jeannie from San Francisco, you all have met her, has a nephew, Robert, and his wife, Katrina, who live in North Carolina. They have a new grandson named after Jeannie's brother, Tom. So a few weeks ago, Jeannie went to North Carolina for baby Tom's first birthday. She wasn't really excited about the trip because she and Robert have very different perspectives on things, but it was family after. After all, and it was important to Tom that she was there. The party was at Robert and Katrina's new house. They had just moved into the neighborhood. But Jeannie said she noticed that Robert just kept moving around the living room while people were celebrating. So she finally asked him if he was okay because he seemed really unsettled. Yes, he said he was fine, but he needed to be able to see the front door. He told Jeannie that he needed to be in a position where he could see the front door at all times should someone try to break in. And Robert wears a weapon on his hip at all times. It is not concealed. It is in full view on his belt. The Neighborhood Association passed an ordinance eliminating those tall wooden fences like my neighbor Scott. It distracts from the beauty of the neighborhood, they said. So instead, Robert is growing thorned bushes around his property line. If somebody was going to get in onto his property, they'd be mauled by thorns doing it. Now, hear me clearly. While I am all for protecting yourself and your property, this feels more like paranoia than protection. And by the way, Robert's a pastor. And yes, 
he wears his weapon on his hip in the pulpit while he preaches. I love the TV show The West Wing. It ran for seven seasons from 1999 to 2006, and it wrestled with some really unique and controversial issues. I have all seven seasons in a boxed DVD set, Christmas gift from Rick, the baby brother. In one episode, there is a scene of Leo McGarry, the White House Chief of Staff, who, as you recall, those of you who watched The West Wing, um, is a recovering alcoholic. And Josh Lyman, the Deputy Chief of Staff. Josh had been pushed to the wall with the stress of his job to the point that he was out of control. He was drinking and acting out in all kinds of ways. Well, one day he comes to work with his hand all bandaged up and he tells everyone that a glass he was holding had broken and cut his hand. One day Leo is waiting for Josh in the lobby and Josh confesses that in fact he had put his hand through a window pane in his apartment and that's how his hand got cut. Leo's answer is this. There's this guy walking down the street when he falls in a hole. The walls are so steep that he can't get out. A doctor walks by and the guy shouts up, Hey you, can you help me out? The doctor writes a prescription, throws it down in the hole, and moves on. <coughs> then a priest comes along and the guy shouts up, Father, I'm down in this hole, can you help me out? The priest writes a prayer, throws it down in the hole, and moves on. Then a friend walks by. Hey, Joe, it's me. Can you help me out? And the friend jumps into the hole. Our guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. And the friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before, and I know the way out. There was a story on CNN a couple of weeks ago. It was a video of two Arizona women and their children, about elementary school age, destroying the Islamic Community Center of Tempe. One woman on the video says, while at the mosque, Muslims are nothing but devil Satan worshippers. And you can hear one of the children say they smell like goats. And these women, their mothers, laugh and egg them on. They berate an unidentified man with insult and epithets as he is coming out of the mosque. The man kept telling them, we're just trying to be peaceful. The women have gathered up all the pamphlets and information lying out and have torn them up. 
The imam, uh, the center's interfaith and outreach director, said some of our members are scared. As for myself, I'm very saddened that those women are dragging their young children into this and teaching them to hate. There was an article in the Gleaner on Tuesday, February the 13th, about a former University of Kentucky basketball player named Isaac Humphreys. I see head shaking. Y'all know him. Isaac was trying on clothes one day and noticed that the fabric on this particular shirt was actually brighter on the inside than the outside. Made more sense to wear it inside out, to be honest, Humphrey said. I just kind of thought of the symbolism behind it and how that would kind of reflect someone's personality on the inside, and it just kind of made sense in my brain. Isaac Humphreys left the University of Kentucky after his sophomore season in 2017 and is now a part-time starter for the Sydney King in his native Australia. But that aha moment hatched his new Inside Out campaign to promote acceptance of everybody, irrespective of race, color, religion, gender, size, or sexuality. He has encouraged folks to wear shirts or other clothes inside out in solidarity with those who are bullied, something of which Humphreys has firsthand knowledge. He said it's an easy way to show acceptance and it gives people an idea, a feeling that you're welcome everywhere. It's about who you are in the inside and not really anything else, he said. Even as Peter and the other disciples were teaching this whole thing of being of one heart, mind and heart, in today's passage, there was a man named Joseph, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means one who encourages, who sold the field he owned and brought the money and turned it over to the apostles to be used for the needs of the group. There was another man, Ananias, and his wife, Sapphira, who also sold some property they owned. But with his wife's agreement, they kept part of the money for themselves and turned the rest over to the apostles. It wasn't that they withheld part of the money from the sale of the property. It was that they lied about it. They made it seem that like they had given all the, all the proceeds to the group, just like Barnabas, the one with the affectionate nickname, when they had not. It wasn't about the needs of the whole. It was about them. I saw a commercial for Mass Mutual Insurance, and I want you to see it. As lawmakers wildfires continue to allegations of misconduct. Why you look so sad? Tears in your eyes. 
hard as it just takes the time out of your day to give them a ride to school and show them the support. Do you stand to cry? Let me see you through. Cause I see the dark side too. When the night falls on you, you don't know what to do. When disaster strikes the one, we all get together and support each other. That's the nature of humanity. I'll stand by you. I'll stand by you. Only nobody loves you. I'll stand by you. So, if you make it back, don't hold it on inside. Come on and talk to me. Mother Teresa says, people are often unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people will accuse you of ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. For you see, in the end, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. I'll stand by you. Being of one mind and heart. Now that looks more resurrected. Amen. We are the church. We look resurrected. May we stand and sing.
God's mercies are before you. May God's grace walk by your side. May God's courage never be put in the And may peace catch up with you. And follow you all the way home. In the name of our brother, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.